If you have your Bibles with you, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me start off by sharing an illustration that goes right into my message this morning, which I like to do often. There was this businessman who was on his way on a business trip to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He had already checked in his bag, and he was heading toward the gate. And as he was boarding the, the plane, he got a call. And he was told that the trip that he was about to go to was canceled because of a major snowstorm. So because of the severe weather, they knew that because it was going to be so severe, people were not going to be able to come out. So they canceled the service or the conference simply because they knew that people would be trapped in their homes, not being able to get out. Strongholds are the same way. When someone has a stronghold in their lives, it entraps them and prevents them from moving forward. It keeps them in a place where they can't move or get away. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the strongholds in our lives. Pastor John has been preaching the last several weeks about, on the subject on why are we here? And after several weeks of learning how, why are we here, it is very clear to us all that according to Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, Jesus, as he commissions his disciples, saying to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But the problem here is that there are strongholds in people's lives that are preventing them from moving forward and advancing the kingdom of God. There are strongholds in our lives that are keeping us from being everything that God has called us to be. One of the primary purpose of God, uh, in our lives, the, the, the primary reason why we exist, according to Mark 16, 15, is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But because of these strongholds that are hindering us from moving forward and being everything that God calls us to be, and that is in the body of Christ, it is very difficult to function as a believer and you know that behind these strongholds is Satan. The Bible describes him as a thief that is bent on stealing, killing, and destroying every believer. If he can destroy you, he's going to do that. If he can rob from you, he's going to do that. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour because he does not want us to advance the kingdom of God. So Strongholds are major hindrances in our lives that prevents us from growing and developing and being everything that God wants us to be and fulfilling the very purpose that God had created us to be. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Now, there are many different types of strongholds, but before we continue to do that, let's talk about what is a stronghold. A stronghold is, uh, in the Greek, it's, it refers to a fortification. It is like a castle that is built with high, penetrable, impenetrable walls in order to prevent the enemy from attacking. It is also when something or someone has you hostage and you can't get free and you can't get loose. It is something that has captured you, something that has held you hostage, something that has bound you up and you can't get free no matter how hard you try because you've been captured, you've been entrapped. That is a stronghold. Now, there are many different types of strongholds. There are, there are addiction. Let's take addiction, for instance. Addiction is a stronghold. Now, there are many different types of addiction. There's drug addiction. 
You know, when somebody puts chemicals into their bodies so much that their body begins to develop a, a, a dependency upon it. And then it becomes so physically dependent that it begins to crave for that drug. And so no matter how many times you try quitting, you always end up going back. Pornography, another major stronghold, is when you expose your mind to illicit images or activities, whether it's in a magazine, whether it's on internet, or whether it's on television. And even though you know it's wrong, the thing about these images is that they begin to form fortifications into your mind and develop a stronghold. And even though you may say, I'm not going to look at those magazines anymore, I'm not going to watch that program anymore, I'm not going to go to that website anymore, you still end up going back. A stronghold has such a strong hold on you that no matter how many times or how much you try to get away from it, you can't because it's captured you, it's holding you hostage. That's when you know there are strongholds in your life. And God does not want us to be bound up with strongholds or want any hindrances in our lives that's going to prevent us from moving forward and being everything that God wants us to be. Do you agree with that? Yes. Amen. So those are some of the strongholds. You know what else are considered strongholds other than gambling and, and drinking? Uh, there are also, um, let's just say, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness can be a stronghold. When you begin to think about something or someone that has done something to you or said something to you that hurt you so deeply that it left you with an emotional scar, and that every time you think about that person, it reminds you of the thing that's happened to you, it, it, it sort of brings back the hurt and the pain, and you find yourself becoming angry and talking more and more about it in such bitterness, and you can't seem to stop. Unforgiveness can be a stronghold. People can be strongholds in your lives. When you have someone who has such a strong influence in your life that no matter what you do, your life is dictated based on this individual. It's almost like a controlling thing. But people can hinder you from moving forward as well. Fear, another major, major uh, stronghold. Because you know what fear does? Fear does this. It causes us to withdraw rather than to advance. God wants us to move forward, not go backwards. Fear causes us to be reluctant Christians. Fear prevents us from moving forward and fulfilling everything that God wants us to be. Imagine if Joshua, when God told him, I want you to take your people over to the River Jordan, cross it over, and go into and possess the land. And Joshua said, Lord, Lord you know what? I think we're fine right here on this side of the river. I think we're good right here. But God says, be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. Be of good courage because I've already given you the land. But you still got to cross the river and you still got to possess the land. Life is not without challenges. But don't allow the strongholds to prevent you from meeting those challenges and overcoming those challenges in your lives. Stronghold is a major challenge. Money, another major stronghold. Jealousy, envy. I can go on and on. There are so many strongholds, but just to name a few. But the good news is that there is a way to overcome these strongholds. There is a way that we can pull them down and remove them from your lives. So if you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let's begin reading. 
verse 3. Verse 3. Did I tell you to turn to 2 Corinthians? Okay. Praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. It says, Though I walk, although we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Stop there. It's interesting that Paul tells us that we do not war in the flesh, which tells us that we're in a battle. Then it goes on in this, the next verse, in verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of what? Strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So strongholds, Paul says this, says we do not war after the flesh, one of the things that Christians do today which causes them to become defeated and fail every time is to try to go into a spiritual battle with weapons of the flesh. It's like taking a knife to a gunfight. You're going to lose. And so what we need to understand is this is a spiritual war. It's a spiritual battle. So it's going to require spiritual weapons in order to overcome these strongholds in our lives. And we need to understand that. So he says that the weapons of our warfare are not mighty, but, but, uh, but not carnal, but mighty through God. The word mighty means this. It means to be able or to make possible. Jesus says that with God, all things are possible. So these weapons that God provides, first of all, it's of God. So it's a spiritual weapon. And so you know it's going to work. But it's mighty, it's powerful, it's able, and it's going to be possible for you to pull down whatever strongholds in your life. And the word pulling down means to destroy, to demolish, or to bring to extinction. The word extinction means no longer in existence. So these weapons that God provides is powerful enough to destroy, to demolish, and to bring to ex extinction these strongholds that are hindering our lives to the point where it brings it until it's no longer exists in your life. That's how powerful these weapons are. And so we're going to look at these weapons tonight as to what it is so that we can use them to overcome the strongholds in your life. Amen? Amen. Now, understand that there are, Paul does not really tell us what these weapons are. But if you read the Bible, it is very clear what these weapons are. There are three, at least, at least three, that are obvious that we can use to pull down these strongholds. One of them is the Word of God, right? Paul tells us that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. He also says in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, which means a sword is, is a weapon to use for offense. It is to cut, to stab, to chop. It is to destroy. And so we can use the word of God to come against these strongholds. Jesus in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, when he was being tempted of the devil, how did he defeat the enemy? Through the word of God. He says it is written. So that's an obvious weapon. Another obvious weapon is prayer. Prayer is a tremendous weapon against these strongholds. Paul says, I mean, James says this, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man 
avails much. Then Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6, where he says this. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. John Wesley, the famous evangelist back in the 1700s and 1800s, made a statement based on that verse, uh, Philippians 4, 6. He says this. He said, God does everything by prayer, but he does nothing without it. Think about that. That means that whatever things that is dealing in our lives, whatever challenges that we face, we can bring it to God. As long as we make him aware of it, he's going to do something about it. But if we don't tell him anything, he can't do anything. So prayer is an obvious weapon. And then there's the power of the Holy Ghost. Another very powerful weapon to come against these strongholds. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy in, chapter, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 where he says, God did not give us the spirit of fear but the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by, by my spirit, saith the Lord. So these are three obvious weapons that we can use to pull down the strongholds. But tonight, uh, this morning, we're going to look at three weapons that are not as obvious, but just as effective in pulling down these strongholds. The first one is found over in Ephesians chapter 1. Go there with me, please. Ephesians chapter 1. The first weapon that we're going to look at is knowing and remembering your place in Christ. Because these strongholds can be a mindset. As a matter of fact, there's a, a well-known preacher who described stronghold as being this. He said, it's a mindset that accepts a situation as unchangeable even when we know it's outside of the will of God. So imagine yourself dealing with a stronghold in your life, and you know it's not of God, but you can't seem to get away from it no matter how many times or how hard you try. So it is a mindset that accepts a, a, a situation as unchangeable. And you know, that is a, when you think about that, that almost feels like it's a hopeless thing. You know, people learn to live with their strongholds in their lives and they accept it because they've done all they can do and not, and, you know, and sort of live with that. Several years ago, I had a stronghold that I had to overcome. Many of you are probably still dealing with that, and that's cigarette smoking. When I say it's many years, I'm talking about like 33 years ago, not like last year. Just want to make sure you know that. <laughs> want to make that clear. But 33 years ago, when I first got saved, that was a major stronghold. Now, I overcame several other strongholds by the power of God, but that was one that and most of you heard the story. And I fought for a whole year. I did everything. Anything that was humanly possible to overcome, and I could not do it. But it took the power of God to break that stronghold in my life, only because I sought him. Because I, You know, when you surrender to God, surrendering means, Lord, I can't, but you can so I reached the point in my life where I said, Lord, I can't. And God came in, and he did. And he helped me to overcome those strongholds. So because of these strongholds, our mindset, we need to remind ourselves our position in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. It says, Paul says that God had raised Christ from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. 
Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. What Paul is saying is that Christ, when he died, he was raised from the dead by the power of God and was highly elevated and seated at God's right hand, far above all power, all principality, all dominion, and all might, and every name that is named, and all things were placed under his feet. We are his body. He is our head. The feet is connected to the body. And Christ fills himself through the the entire body, making us one with him. So when we say all things are placed under his feet, you can also say all things are placed under our feet because we're joined with him. Think about the strongholds in your life under your feet. Now go to Ephesians chapter 2. And beginning in verse 1. Paul begins by saying this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature of, uh, a children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, the first three verses, Paul talks about the craziness of our lives, how crazy we were, the crazy things that we've done in our lives, and, you know, these are the things that we once were. Then in verse 4, he says, but God. The word but is an interesting word because every time you use a word but after a statement, it completely negates the statement that you said before but. Husbands, you might know this. How many times have you told your wife, honey, I love you, but... I see quite a few of them have said that. Anything that you say after the but is what they'll remember, not what you said before the but, because the word but completely negates what you said to her. So she don't hear I love you. She she hears what you say after the but. Honey, you're a great cook, but... When you say but, that completely negates the fact that she's a good cook. She only hears what you say after the but. So when Paul writes added but into this letter, it completely negates everything that he said in the first three verses of what we used to live and how we used to act. Because after that is this, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, listen to this, made us alive together with him. Very important word together with him. Verse 6, and he raised us up, what? Together with him. And guess what else he did? And seated us, where? Together with him in heavenly places. Where is he seated? At the right hand of the Father. How far is he seated? Far above all power and principalities and dominion and might. That means that you and I share the same position as Christ, far above all power, all principalities, all dominion, all might, and all strongholds. And all things have been placed under our feet because we have been raised together with him 
which means that we share a position of authority with Christ. Man, that is, that is why it's so important to remind ourselves our position in Christ. Because he placed us in a position of authority, giving us legal right to overcome anything that come against us. Go to Matthew chapter 28 real quick. <clears throat> we have been positionally seated at the right hand of the Father, together with Christ, sharing the same position of authority over all things. Far above all power and principalities, that it also includes whatever strongholds are in your life. The only way that God can exercise his authority on this earth is through his body. Amen? You know, it's like when you compare a, a police officer with a criminal, they both may have guns. But the police officer has a badge which gives him legitimate authority over the criminal. Christ has been given legitimate authority over all things. Jesus says in Matthew 28 and verse 18, as he commissions his disciples, he says in verse 18, And he came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The word power in the Greek is the word exousia, which means authority. And, and Christ is saying, all authority has been given to me. And then he delegates those, that authority to his disciples, saying, go. Ye therefore. It is important that when we go into all the worlds to preach the gospel to every creature, we must go in the authority that has been given to us. Christ is our badge of authority. He supports and backs that authority. So Jesus has the ultimate authority over all things. And we share in that same authority together. Hallelujah. Let's go to... Go to James chapter 4. And let's talk about the next weapon. The first weapon is knowing your position in Christ. We, we share the same position with Christ, having all authority, and then we have to exercise this authority against anything that comes against us. We have the legal right. And here's the wonderful thing about that. Because we were raised up with him, according to Colossians chapter 3, he says, seek those things that are above and not those things that are beneath. That means that everything that we need to help us in whatever problem that we face. Every, every solution to every problem that we have is in heavenly places where Christ is. And we have access to those benefits. The next weapon are the weapons of praise. Many of us don't realize, but praise is a very powerful weapon. It is a very powerful weapon. When we praise him, that is the most effective way to express our love, our appreciation, and our adoration to him. It is also something that should be a way of life for every believer, especially when we're facing adversity. In the first part of James chapter 4, it says this, Draw near to God, and he will draw also nigh unto you. One of the ways that we can draw not near to God is through prayer. Prayer always draws us near to God and draws him near to us. When we study and meditate upon the word of God, 
that also draws us near to God and causes him to draw near to us. Praise is just a way also of drawing near to God and he drawing near to us. Psalm 22 verse 3 says that God inhabits our praises. The word inhabit means to enthrone or to settle or to sit in the midst of our praise. So praise causes us to draw near to God, but also draws him near to us. If the only time you and I praise God is on Wednesday and Sundays, then we really are not drawing near to him. We're just making an occasional visit. Psalm 34, 1, David says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. All times means every time. The good times as well as the bad times. And he says his praise will continually be in my mouth. Amen. Write this down. Psalm 119 in verse 164. It is so important that praise, that we praise him continually all the time. In Psalm 119 in verse 164, the psalmist writes and says this, seven times a day I will praise you. That's seven times a day, seven days a week. Pray, uh, Psalm 146 and verse 2. Write that down. Psalm 146 and verse 2. It says, I will praise the Lord while I live and sing praises to my God while I have my being. In other words, as long as I live, as long as I have breath in my life, I will continue to praise God. You see, the word continue means perpetual, constant. And so the words of praise that comes forth from out of my mouth, it has to be a continuous thing. Seventeen times a day, the psalmist writes, I will praise you. So praise is a very powerful and spiritual weapon to overcome any stronghold in your life. And it's, if you study the Old Testament, you'll find in many instances that whenever God's people were faced with certain adversity... Praise had something to do with that. And every time they praised God, God solved the problem. Let's look at an example. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, a very familiar passage of Scripture for many of us. Because I'll tell you, when we praise God, especially in the midst of our, our situation, what God does, it, what it does, it brings God into the scene, and it causes God to draw away all the stuff that has been, dealing, that has been messing with us, and removing the influence and removing the power that has held us for so long. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And let's look in verse 1. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Menuhites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. So we're talking about three different nations who come together to face Judah. And the Bible says in verse 2, Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea. Verse 3 says, And Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And so Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. You know, when I read about Jehoshaphat, having heard this bad news, the Bible says he became afraid. Boy, I'm so glad that he's no different than I am. Because when we hear bad news, 
there's always an, an emotional response or reaction. You know, look at what he says in verse 12. He says, our God, while he was praying, our God, will you not judge them? For listen to what he says, for we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, and we don't know what to do. How many of you have ever been there? We're faced with adversity, we're afraid, we're powerless, and we don't know what to do. But Jehoshaphat did the only thing he could do, and that was to pray. And so he gathered up all of his people and began to pray and fast. And then in verse 14 and 15, the word of the Lord came and spoke words of encouragement and giving them instructions for victory in verses 14 and 15. And we're going to go pick up over in verse 17. As the person who was prophesying began to continue prophesying, he says this with these instructions. You need not fight in this battle, verse 17, but station yourselves, stand and see the, the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face, to face them, for the Lord is with you. Now let's stop there. The prophet of God who spoke the words of God began to encourage his people in a very terrible place. Now understand what Jehoshaphat was facing. He was facing annihilation. He was about to lose his kingdom. He was about to lose his people. A lot was at stake here. He was, going to, he was facing an, uh, uh, an adversity or a situation where it meant that all of Judah would be completely annihilated and no longer exist. So you can understand, being the leader and a king, tremendous pressure was on him. But he only did, the only thing that he could do was to pray. And then God responded by speaking words of instructions and words of encouragement, which is what God does. You know, sometimes when you're facing something and you're praying and seeking God, sometimes he don't always come with the answer right away, but he gives you a little word of encouragement saying, just hang in there, we'll take care of this. Sometimes a word from the Lord, just an encouraging word is enough to help us to stand and continue on. And so God will do that, and God was doing that here. And then he tells them something very strange. He says, listen, I don't want you to fight. This is not your battle. This is mine. And he tells them, but I still want you to go down and face the enemy. He didn't say, I don't want you to run from the enemy. I don't want you to hide from your enemies. I don't want you to ignore your enemies. I want you to face, in other words, I want you to face your problem. Hello? I don't want you, I thought I lost something here. I don't want you to run from your problems. I don't want you to hide from your problems. I don't want you to ignore your problems. I want you to face it. But I don't want you to fight. I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to face your problems. Let's go on. Then verse 18, we're still hearing this ringing. Then verse 18 says, Jehoshaphat bowed his head and with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then in verse 19, he gathered all of the Levites and all the worship team, and they stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Now, look at verse 20. It says this, And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God so shall you be established. Believe in his prophets, and so shall you prosper. 
Verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness. So when they went out before the army, and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Here's what I want you to see. He's saying this. I don't want you to fight. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to lift up a weapon. I just want you to face your enemy. I want you to face your problem. Don't lift up any weapons. Don't lift up a sword. I just want you to lift your voice and praise the Lord. And so they went down, faced their enemy, went before the army, and just began to sing praises unto the Lord. How many... I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me, let me hold back. Look at verse 22. <laughs> Got to save the best for last. Verse 22 says this, And when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and saw they were routed or defeated or slaughtered. He says, As they began to sing and praise, God moved. As they began to lift up their voices with songs of praise, God set an ambush and eliminated the problems in their lives that they were facing. So praise can be a very powerful tool to overcome the strongholds in our lives. The difficult thing is that because we live in this flesh, it's very hard to do that. Come on, let's be honest. Go to Acts chapter 22, uh, 16. Before you do that, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, in verse 24, he says this, when the men of Judah came, after everything had been done, after everything had been taken care of, when everything was over, they went down to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, and all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. You know what I love about God is that when he does his work, he does a complete job. I'm so glad he doesn't do things half-hearted. He does it completely, amen? He completely eliminated the problem because they were praising him. You see, praise keeps our focus on the one who matters. Praise keeps our focus on where Christ is, where the solution of the problem is. Praise brings God into the scene to give you the strength to stand and having done all the stand. Praise will also cause you to stand and position yourself and watch God work. Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 16, we see another example of the power of praise. And you know this story. Beginning in verse 22 of Acts chapter 16. When the multitude rose up together against them, meaning Paul and Silas, the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And in verse 24 it says, Having received such a charge... He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they were held captive, they were bound, they were held hostage, and they couldn't get away. You could say that they were in their stronghold. Wouldn't you say that? Remember what a stronghold is. It's something that has you captured, something that is holding you hostage, and you can't get away. You can't get free. And so Paul and Silas, imagine this, being beaten with rods several times on your body. So their body must have been filled with welts, 
some lacerations and some bleeding. So you knew that they were in pain. Not to mention the fact that they were thrown into the most inner part of the prison that was the most secure. What do they call them in, uh, in prison, Ralph? Solitary confinement. You can't get out. And they were put in stocks which limit their movements, which means that if they had to go to the bathroom, they had to go right where they sat. A very uncomfortable, a very unpleasant, and a very painful experience. But at midnight, you know where I'm going with that. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Paul and Silas wasn't complaining. Paul and Silas wasn't whining. Paul and Silas wasn't complaining to God and cursing God and blaming God. No, they sang and they prayed. And they must have sang loudly because the Bible says that the prisoners were listening. So they weren't just singing in praise. They were singing loudly and praying. And the prisoners heard them. And guess what happened? Suddenly, in verse 26, there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors, not some of the doors, but all of the doors were open and everyone's chains. Not just Paul and Silas, but everyone's chains were loosed. You want to talk about how to overcome strongholds? Praise. Glory to God. The greatest challenge for every believer is to offer up songs of praise in your darkest hour. Especially when you don't feel much like praising. You know, you can be in pain and you don't feel like praising. You can feel depressed and you don't feel like praising. You can be, in a, you can be struggling physically, emotionally. You can be carrying emotional scars. And you don't feel like much like praising. But Hebrews 13, go to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, real quick. Verse 15 says this. Now, I'm just going to do it anyway. I'm just going to say it anyways. Through him, then let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. Now, remember what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 34.1. I will bless the Lord at all times. In times of pain, in times of agony, in times of struggle, in times of depression, in times of emotional whatever, I will praise him at all times. His praise will continually, perpetually, and constantly be in my mouth, no matter how much pain I'm feeling. We must be willing to go beyond ourselves and go beyond our limitations and sing praises anyways, because what else are you going to do? What else is there to do except to praise the name of God? Hallelujah. Listen to what Psalm 69 and verse 29 says. That Psalm 69, verse 29 says this. But I am afflicted and am in pain. This is what the psalmist was writing. I am afflicted and I am in pain. This is the New American Standard Bible. And in verse 30 he says this. But I will praise the name of our God and I will sing and magnify him with thanksgiving. He was in pain and in affliction, but yet he was still going to praise him and sing the praises of God to him. And now I know that many of us struggle because, again, listen, we live in the flesh. and We know how hard it is to want to sing praises when you don't feel like singing. 
especially when you're in pain and going through some difficult times. But if you understand, first of all, your position in Christ, and if you understand the power of praise, you will take your authority, your place of authority, and begin to sing before the problem. Sing and praise in the midst of your problem. And God will come in the midst of your presence. He will come and sit and enthrone himself in the midst of your praise. And you know what he's going to do while you're praising him? God is going to eliminate the problems in your life. That's what we see here in Acts chapter 16. That's what we saw here with Jehoshaphat. Praise is a very powerful tool. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 30 says. As, as I mentioned to you, Psalm 34 and verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise will continually be in my mouth. The living translation says this, the living Bible says this, I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. Isaiah verse, chapter 30 and verse 31 says this, The voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria. With the scepter he will strike them down. Now the Assyrians were considered bitter enemies to the Lord and to God's people. And God says that I will, that with my voice I will shatter the Assyrians, and with the scepter I will strike them down. Then in verse 32, listen to what it says. Every stroke that the Lord lays on them with his punishing rod will be to the music of tambourines and harps as he fights them in battle with the blows of his arms. You ever watch a movie, uh, an action-packed movie? And when it gets to that action scene, it gets really intense. But do you notice that while you're watching that, there's music in the background? And that music gets really intense. You know something is happening. Well, when we sing praises and instruments, that sets the stage for God to work and move on our behalf. Glory to God. And that's what he's saying here. While he's striking and defeating the enemy, he's doing it to the sound of music and to the sound of praise. How many of you have play instruments? Take your instruments, whatever it is, whether it's spoons, whether it's tambourines, whether it's whatever it may be, use that to praise the Lord and watch what God does. If you can sing and if you can sing, that's the wonderful thing about it. You don't have to know how to sing, but you can sing praises to the Lord. No matter how bad you sound, it's not going to affect God from working and moving in your life. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Aren't you glad about that? But God will come into the scene, set himself right in the midst of your situation. And while you're singing and praising, you're already focusing on the Lord. You know, you're already at a place of praise. You're already in his presence. You're not even thinking of the problem because you've already entered in. You've already gone past the anxiety. You already got past all that stuff. And you're finally in his presence. And while you're doing that, you get lost in the praise. God begins to work. Let me tell you something. Well, first of all, how many of you have allergies here? Okay. So you know that, okay. <laughs> Thank you. We all know now that you have allergies. When allergy season comes, what happens? You get all messed up. Your eyes begin to water. They get red. They hurt. Your nose begins to run. You're sneezing all the time. You get headaches. And, I mean, it's, you're just miserable. You're irritated. You're just uncomfortable. Because the air has been infiltrated by pollen. And it gets so thick that it affects us physically. 
to the point where it's just like we just get miserable and we just need to leave that environment. Right? Well, I just want to share a little secret with you about the devil. Shh. The devil has allergies too. It's called praise. It's called praise. Listen to this. When we fill the environment with praise, the devil can't stand it because it makes him feel irritated. It makes him feel uncomfortable. It makes him miserable. And you know what? Because he's so uncomfortable in the midst of praise, he's got to leave the premises. He can't remain in the place of praise. And you know, the Bible says that God inhabits our praises. So when we're singing unto the Lord, we're bringing God in a scene. And the devil can't hang around with, with that. He can't be in that kind of environment. He can't stand for us to, be, to make worship as part of our lives. He cannot stand it. So he has to leave the premises. The devil is, allerg is allergic to praise. He cannot stand when you praise God. Because it takes your eyes off the problem and focuses on the answer, the solution. Glory to God. Praise is a powerful thing. Praise is a powerful thing. But it's sad that there are many Christians who, it, while going through their struggles, will not make the devil uncomfortable because they're not filling the air with the pollen of praise. They, because they sit, get so caught up in their struggles, they get so caught up in their problems that they won't take the time to sing, not realizing that their songs of praise will cause the devil to flee. And then we have too many believers that will not make him uncomfortable. And you know what? He makes it his life to make us uncomfortable. So you know what? Every chance I get, I'm going to make him uncomfortable. I'm not going to make it easy for him. I'm going to make him uncomfortable. So even if I don't feel like praising him, even if I don't feel like singing, I'm just going to sing anyway. Doesn't matter how I feel, I'm just going to sing to make him uncomfortable. Just out of spite. Because he deserves it. So, Satan can't handle that kind of atmosphere, so we need to learn to praise him. It's another power. The third power, the third weapon that we're going to look at before we close we know that we need to know our position in Christ. We know the other weapon is praise. The third weapon is found in James chapter 4 and verse 6. Why don't you go there? The third weapon is relying on the provisions of grace. And again, these are not obvious weapons, but they certainly are effective weapons. <coughs> James chapter 4, verse 6. You know, when every other Sunday, my wife and my family go to see my, visit, visit my parents. And every time we go there, it's, I look forward to it anyway, simply because she puts out a big spread on the table. That's my motivation for going. And then, just, and then thank my mom later after that. No, no, I go because I, I love my parents. But she puts on a big spread. So if you were in the Sandell household, you'd be sitting at the table with a bowl of rice over here, rice and beans, and a bowl of mashed taters over here. Then you got a bowl of vegetables here. Then you got a platter of spare ribs over there. Then you got a platter of roast chicken over here. 
and then she might throw in some pastelillos and some relleno de papas and pasteles to, just to add and sweeten the pot. So when we sit down to eat, just in case we finish our first plate, there's always more available. And sometimes, especially if we run out of rice, because if, if you ever invite my, my niece Larissa to your house and you put a bowl of rice in it, you better watch her because she may eat the whole thing. But in case we run out of the bowl of rice, my mom would take the rice and puts more and brings it back and puts it on the table. So we never run out of food. And once we've reached our full, our fill, there's still more food to be had, so we just take that and just take it home. So there's always more food that never runs out. Look what James 4 and verse 6 says. It says, but God gives more grace. The, another translation says that God gives greater grace. The Amplified Version says, and God gives more and more grace. So he gives more grace, and I love that word, more. Because it means that grace never runs out. There's a constant flow of grace that has been made available to us. And you know, even though we sometimes we fail or we, we mess up, we think that, and we're always crying out for God's grace, and we think that we've exhausted his grace, but there's always more grace to be given. Because he gives more grace. As a matter of fact, the word grace means undeserved favor, but it also means God's inexhaustible supply of his goodness. So when you run out of grace, well, there's no such thing as that, because there's always more grace. God never runs out. And so I lost my train of thought that was going somewhere with this. So when, we come to, when it comes to grace, God, that's God's way of choosing a method to fix whatever mess we have. So, you know, so if we go to God with these addictions, says, Lord, I have this addiction that I've been dealing with for years. God says, I give more grace. You know, we're talking about, when I say more grace, I'm talking about enabling grace. Grace that's able to help you to overcome the situations in your life. Grace that provides a strength when you find yourself in a weak situation. Grace is, helps you to do whatever it is that you need to do to overcome whatever struggles that you're facing. So when you come to God with your addiction, God gives more grace. When you come to God with your emotional scars, he gives more grace. When you come with your, with your abuses, you know, some of us have been coming to the, into the Christian uh, faith abused and, and, and uh, addiction with addictions and with bad habits and with emotional and physical scars. And, and we go to God and say, Lord, I, uh, you know, I've been abused and God gives more grace. Lord, I have this bad habit. Lord, I said, but God says, I give more grace. But Lord, you don't understand. Pastor Mike, you don't understand. Pastor John, you don't understand. I've been addicted for years. I've been abused and I've been suffering for years because of the abuse. You don't understand, I've been dealing with this bad habit for years. You don't understand, Pastor Mike, that I've been dealing with this all of my life. But God says, 
I give more grace. God will take all of the years that you've been addicted, that you've been abused, that you've been mistreated, that you've been dealing with emotional scars. Take all of those years, put it all together, and God still gives more grace. Go to John chapter 1. There's never not enough of grace, but there's always more grace to give. God, there's a constant outflow of grace available. In John chapter 1, in verse 14, as I get ready to close. It says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. That means when he came, he came full of grace. Now look down in verse 16. For of his fullness, fullness of what? Fullness of his grace and, and, and truth. He says, we have all received. Notice this. He says, of his fullness of grace and truth, we all received. And then he goes on and says, and grace upon grace. In addition, grace upon grace. Now, the Amplified Version reads it like this. For out of his fullness or abundance, which is grace and truth, we have all received. Say, we have all received. All had a share and we were all supplied with one grace after another. And spiritual blessings upon spiritual blessings and even favor upon favor and gift heaped up upon gift. When you get saved, it doesn't take long to realize that we need a lot of God's grace. Amen? It didn't take long for us to realize we need God's grace to help us to live a Christian life. So when we talk about grace upon grace, this is what John is talking about. He's saying this, if, the best way I can describe it is this, if you were to put that grace into a pile, then you pile it with the same amount of grace on top of that. Then you take that same amount of grace and pile it upon top of that. Then you take another pile of grace and put it on top of that. And you go on and on and on. That's what he was talking about when, we said, when he says grace upon grace. That means grace heaped up upon more grace. So the grace that you exhausted yesterday, there's more to be had today. And there's more to look forward to tomorrow because it never runs out. Another way I like to explain it is when we go to the beach and you stand before the water and it's high tides. And so the tide is coming in. And so the tide comes in and stops like maybe a couple of feet from you. Then the next wave comes in and comes just at your toe. Then the next wave comes in and covers your feet. Then the next wave comes in and covers your feet and goes beyond. Each wave that comes in is greater and deeper than the last wave. That's what he means by having the fullness of his grace. Grace upon grace. He didn't just say we've received his fullness, but he says on top of that, grace heaped up upon more grace, which means there's more grace to be had today, tomorrow, and forever. And that's what he provides every day. It never runs out. So when we're facing our strongholds, 
We face it with the authority that has been given to us, giving us the legal right to overcome anything that comes against us. And then we have the power of praise to, be, to sing before the Lord as we face our enemy, we face our problem, and sing praises unto God while God is setting an ambush to our problems. And we have the grace of God to help us, to enable us, to make us everything that he wants us to be. Because surely we cannot be that way or accomplish anything that God calls us to do on our own efforts. God wants us to advance in the kingdom of God. But he needs us to remove the hindrances in our lives. And it's about time that we start living with these strongholds. It's about time that we start making excuses. It's about time that you accept those things as being unchangeable and look at it and it says, it will change. It will no longer be this way. It cannot be this way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, today. Thank you, Father God, for giving us the tools to overcome the strongholds in our lives, whatever it may be. Father, we thank you for giving abundance of grace. Thank you, Lord God, that we have more and more grace available for us to help us to become everything you want us to be. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for reminding us of our position in Christ, knowing that we stand in the position of authority, knowing that we have the legal right on this earth to overcome anything. That's why your word says that we are more than conquerors. Hallelujah. So, Father, we thank you, Lord. And, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you touch every person in this room speaking into their hearts, identifying every issues in their lives and giving them a hope to overcome. Father, we pray right now, we declare in the name of Jesus that these strongholds will no longer be a part of our lives. It will no longer hold us captive. It will no longer hold us hostage. It will no longer hold us bound in the name of Jesus. But Lord, today, because of more grace that has been given to me, I am free. And the word says that, that if you say I'm free, that I'm truly free indeed. And so Lord, I thank you for delivering us from our strongholds in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Now let's offer him the praise that he so deserves. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.